book of Genesis, please. Go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to just finish my last point that I had here for this uh, message on a father's heart for his child. Of course, looking at the, the Father in heaven and his example, and the things that we can look at as an example towards how we ought to treat our families. Uh, of course, as principles in there across the board, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a father. I think we can all learn from this uh, tonight. But I'm going to take our Bibles, go to Genesis 1, and we're going to read verse number 26, and just once again read over this uh, very important uh, passage I wish the world would memorize and accept. Uh, we see that in verse 26 it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over the every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Um, let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would just guide me in this message tonight, that you would just use it, uh, Lord, just to strengthen your church once again. We thank you for the word of God, and Lord, the great, the great uh, admonition it gives us just to be better, and to seek your example, and to follow that example, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, to do it, and to be what you want us to be. We pray your blessing upon us tonight, blessing upon our families, as we take seriously your admonition tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And so, uh, this morning I left off really talking about the fellowship that uh, the Father has with, had with Adam in the uh, Garden of Eden. Because of that fellowship, uh, I kind of alluded it to in the, in the invitation, how that God knew Adam's emotional state. Uh, because he spent time with him, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, uh, dads, uh, we're, we're not necessarily that emotional. Uh, the ladies usually are more emotional than us, and I think it doesn't take much for us to agree with that. Maybe not all the time, but, but it, you know, uh, there are exceptions, but the rule uh, most definitely is the men are more logical the way they look at things, and the ladies are more emotional when they look at things. But yet... That doesn't change the fact that when we spend time with our families that we can actually learn to discern the emotions of the individual. Uh, that we learned immediately in Genesis chapter 4 when uh, Cain uh, sinned and he became angry. And God came down to visit Cain and says, why is that countenance fallen? So it was a big deal to him that, that Cain was angry. And so we need to learn to, to read that in our kids. What are they angry at? What's going on here? You know, anger, uh, folks, it rarely has to do with what's going outside of you. It's most what's going on inside of you. Uh, there's a problem inside. That's what the anger problem is. Uh, it's, it's a lack of trust. It's a lack of submission. It's a lack of understanding God in your situation. When we get angry, it's because we don't understand God is sovereign and God is in control of our lives. And we, on the second hand, remember our, the series I did on anger, there were two major things that you have to remember, that God's in control, but not only that, but God is good as well. Uh, when God's in control and good, then we're in pretty good shape, amen? Now, if he wasn't good and in control, 
that'd be a different situation. Uh, that would feel abusive. And that's what many people try to make God look like, that somehow he's abusive and he's not because they just have not seen the goodness of God. And, uh, and they look at their situation. Why did you take this person from me? Why did this happen? And they begin to question uh, God's goodness and therefore they get angry. And the fact of the matter is you have to keep in front of you constantly that God is good. His, right, his judgments are always righteous. So when he allows something in your life, as hard as it is, as uh, unsavory as it is, as much as you say, I would never choose this, you have to realize that that was a right judgment of God for you. Whatever the situation is, and in, and in that judgment is the goodness of God. That is so important to understand, and that will help you deal with all of your anger issues. Uh, your anger issues are always because things are out of your control, and they're not going my way. <laughs> Amen. I want to control it. You've never been in control, by the way. There's either been something controlling you your whole life, or God's in control. Uh, all you are is a, is a chooser in between. <laughs> Amen. You're a switch. You either, I'm going to choose God to control, or I'm going to let my flesh run away with it here. But I for surely am not in control. I have to have some power greater than me controlling my life. Amen. And so it's people that try to control their own lives. Many times that's because um, you know, I've dealt with this where, where people get very controlling, especially if they've been through an abusive situation. When something becomes out of control and so out of control, it brings you so much pain, you spend the rest of your life trying to control it. And you're a very regimented person and you're scheduled and you're this and that and the other. And as soon as something does not fit your schedule, you lose your religion. <laughs> Amen. And that's, that's what happens when you try to control yourself. In all reality, it's just your flesh. Your flesh is trying to control the situation. And anger is a result of that when you don't get control of that. You lose control. Amen. And so it's pretty good to just let God take control and trust him. We can live a life of peace even in the middle of a wicked world. Uh, you know, you, can, you, can, you don't have to go with the flow of this world. You don't have to let it change you. You can be right with God. You can have peace in your heart, love and joy and all those things, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And we can shine his lights in the midst of it. Amen. And so God knew Adam's emotional state. And that's important to know our children's state as well, and our, or our spouse or whatever we're dealing with, because our, the emotions will always lead you to the problem. Uh, whatever is producing that emotion, that's where the belief is. Uh, there's always something you're believing. And what you're believing is either right or wrong. And I know other people made me believe this. No, you chose to. Every belief that you have is a choice of your own soul. That's the way God made you. Isn't that wonderful? doesn't matter how people chain you up, throw you in the prison or anything like that. They cannot control your choices. Yeah. They can control your body. They can put you in chains. But they can't change the fact that I can pray. Amen. They can tell you not to pray. They can, tie your, they can stitch your mouth shut and they can close your eyes and they can whatever. But in your heart, you can still pray. There's always a choice. Amen. And so nobody takes your choice. And so your belief is always based on something you choose to believe. And usually uh, Satan tries to, tries to um, promote a situation and plant a lie at the same time. So he's involved with all the ugly things of your life. At the same time he's, he's afflicting you, he's also planting thoughts in your mind. 
because he's trying to he's trying to bury that thought in your mind using the terrible situation and that's what people do they they, they their mindset comes from usually the hardship that they come out of and that's satanic in nature that's the way he operates now god says I know that all things work together for good to them that love God. So, so the Lord comes in there and says, let me show you a different way here to look at your problems and to look at the battles and so forth. He says, I can switch it totally around. I can totally free you and pull those lies out and put truth in there. And those same situations that used to cause you so much pain are going to be the greatest source of peace in your life. It's hard to imagine, but those things that you've gone through that are the hardest that you've been running away from, that you can't even bear thinking about or even visiting in your, in your memories, can actually become the, the greatest source of peace in your life. Because those are the things where God can become most real. And it's, that's what Satan tried to use to destroy you. God says, I can turn around for good. <laughs> that's the kind of God we have. <laughs> Amen. If you want that, I mean, you can go on your misery. Some people are seduced by their mis- misery. They like it, you know. Some people love their bitterness. They love the control. It makes them feel like somehow I'm, I'm hurting somebody else for what they've done to me. When all reality, they're just deceived. They're the only ones suffering, you know. But some people are seduced by their own bitterness. And they like it, and they don't want it to go away. And so you can't help people like that. But you yourself, it's your choice. What do you want? <laughs> you know, do you want freedom? You can have it. The truth will make you free. The Bible says it's just as easy as that. No qualifiers there. Just the truth shall make you free. You just have to receive. You just have to believe it. Amen? And so God does care about that. And that's why he cares about your emotional problems and your emotional needs. And and the answer isn't to take pills to master your emotions. Your emotions are not your problem. I mean, I get it. Sometimes you get a headache. You pop a Tylenol or whatever you take because you don't like the headache, <laughs> you know? And hey, I get it. You know, sometimes the symptoms, I don't want the symptoms of my life. But mostly, if you start having headaches all the time, I mean, you start popping Tylenol every time you have a headache, you just may be missing the fact that there's something causing these headaches. And so all you do is masking the issue here, you know? And, and especially when it comes to some of the, the anti uh, depressants and stuff that are out there folks I, I i'm very careful treading on that ground i understand you know what people go through and sometimes people they're so far gone that the pills they take keep them from jumping off the bridge that's how off they are you know so i'm careful of just saying hey bless god you know <laughs> you know but I, I am also on the other side of that very careful to to remind you that there's real freedom here and 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 when you're done with this it won't need pills. And, and so I'm not saying, you know, just by faith that I'm just going to throw it all away not understanding. What I'm saying is you've got to seek for the truth in this. That's up to you, you know. Um, but all I know is the more you mask those feelings, the harder it is for you to find the problem. The pain sensory sensors in your body were created by God to pinpoint where the problem is. When you go to the hospital they ask, or the doctor, oh, I've got this pain. Well, where is it? I don't know. <laughs> well, he's not going to be able to help you. But many times that's the way it is with some people that have masked it so much with, with medication. I've sat people down in my office and say, there's something not right, but I don't feel anything. 
well, how can you find where that, that foreign object is yeah. if you don't even have pain? <laughs> so many times your first decision has to be that I need to embrace the pain that I'm feeling. And I can't be scared of it because really your pain is a gift. <laughs> your pain is a gift from God because he's pointing to the foreign object. He's pointing, there's something here and that pain, that sensor was put there so that you could determine where I need to go. And same thing it is emotionally. And that's why God went to Cain. He didn't say, here, Cain, take some pills so you don't feel mad. He's saying, why? He's saying, get to the heart of it. Why is this, Cain? Now, God knew what it was, and he told him what it was. He says, if thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted? He's sitting there. He's feeling unacceptable. And I'm going to tell you, every time you sit there like this, every time you poochie lip it, every time you're angry, you are doing the same thing Cain did that day. And God's asking you the same question. Now, what you can't say is, well, you know, Abel, he thinks he's so good. That whole thing has started before (laughs) Genesis chapter 4, the first kids born to mankind. It's nothing new, folks, and yet we see it every week in the local church, somehow that it's some kind of a real thing that we need to deal with. Folks, God already dealt with this. And any Christian that's right with God knows that we don't give credence to that kind of stupidity. It's not able. Most of the time it is because others are doing right and you're not. And there's hidden sin in your life. Take responsibility. Get it right with God. Amen. Stop blaming everybody else for your, your feelings. Nobody made you feel the way you are. You chose it. You chose it by what you believed. And the moment you take responsibility for that is your first step towards freedom. Amen. Amen. The truth shall make you free, the Bible says. So God is very clued in to our emotional problems. He was with Adam. He knew exactly what was happening there. (laughs) You know, first thing sin came in, they wouldn't hide themselves in a bush. Fear. Never felt fear before. (laughs) Fear and guilt. Guilt produces fear. And a person, many times, they don't admit to the guilt, but they they do feel the fear. And the fear that you have, many times, is linked to the guilt that you have. And you need to deal with it. Get it right. Now, it may not be something you're dealing with another person, but it could be something you need to get right with the Lord. Amen? And until you do, that peace will not be there. You're just not going to get it. You're going to cry for it. Just like like Esau. Oh, give me that blessing. Give me that blessing. You know, the Bible says he found no place of repentance. It means Isaac couldn't change his mind about the blessing because there was a decision that Esau made in his life that limited the decision of his father. And that's the way it is with you. No matter how much you cry, I'm going to come and cry at the altar. does not change a thing. You got to make your decisions right. You got to go back and deal with the problems, deal with the source issues. Amen? That's how we get freedom. You know? Because many people think, well, this always worked for my mom and dad. When I cry and bellyache, I get what I want. It doesn't work that way with God. Unless it's a real sorrow that worketh repentance. 
Amen. Otherwise, it's just a worldly sorrow from all the things I have to go through. <laughs> you know, God says, that pain is my gift. You need to thank me for it. Well, I hate it. Thank him for it. Thank him for it. Don't curse God for your pain. <laughs> pain is something God gave you. But I think that, you know, as, as, as the Lord brought me into this place, into this church, and, and how he has led me to this day with you people has been to take us to a place that I think most churches don't go anymore. And that's dealing with real problems. You know, I could just talk about you know, tithing and soul winning and, and all these things that are a dime a dozen messages out there. But folks, that is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to deal with the very heart of your issues. Some of you won't like it and you'll leave. Because you won't want to face it. You don't want to feel it. <laughs> you'll find some reason why to blame someone else. And you won't last. But I know whatever God leaves here, whatever is left is going to be clean and pure. Because you will begin to look at yourself. Amen? And I think it's so important we see that. That's what God wants. First thing he said to Cain, why is that countenance fallen? That's what the Father does. That's what you do with your kids. That's what we do with our church. Amen? We deal with these problems. And we get them resolved. God's constant fellowship with Adam as well saved Adam from experiencing the utmost consequence for his sin. See, there was something worse that Adam could have experienced other than what he was just experiencing. Now, we know that he is already cursed. Basically, he's going to die. Death just came upon him. Now, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't like, now my body is dead and I just fell over, boom, like Ananias and Sapphira, you know. But yet death still came to him that day. There was a separation of fellowship between him and his father, which was a terrible thing. Now that is no place that anybody wants to be for for eternity. Uh, God is well. The father says, no way, Adam, do I want to keep you there. Uh, I want you to be back with me. Amen. So God knew immediately that there was sin in his children because fellowship had been broken. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And you, got to, you need to discern in yourself sometimes when you're hiding. Because you know you all hide. Yeah. Amen. You're just like everybody else. You're just like me. You know, when there's issues in our life, we want to hide ourselves. We don't want to be with God's people. We want to stay away from them. We'll make all kinds of excuses why, and nobody will ever know the real reason why, but God knows a real reason why. Because he's... He was the first one that you hid from. And then the people of God is what you hide from. And the next little while, you hide yourself from the Word of God. Because I don't want that to be shining on my life, <laughs> you know? But God knew immediately. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So many times in order to uh, put you know um, continue with the facade of of religion or uh, my you know my pious uh, view that I want people to look at me with I, I I pretend like I'm fellowshipping with God but the Bible says that we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness we're a liar 
And so obviously the Lord knows this tactic. <laughs> you know, he knows all about it. And that's what I think Adam and Eve were going through here. They hid themselves, but they didn't understand yet. They were not in fellowship with God. Something had been ripped apart here. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Anytime you give yourself to sin, I'm not saying if you mess up, you, oh man, that was stupid, and you get it right that anything has been damaged, you know. But many times when you do a sin and you're continuing in it, you've got a critical heart, a critical attitude. Don't pretend you're right with God because you're not. And people know it. Don't pretend. Don't pretend, you see. It's why when you look at somebody in the eye, you don't want to look at them straight in the eye, <laughs> you know. That's hard. I remember my dad, whole. Oh, I would, I would just dread looking at my dad in the eye because he looked way past my eyeballs. I guarantee you that he could just see right in there. He'd know exactly what's going on here. And I'm just, what? <laughs> what? I'm guilty before I even know what I did, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, that's what Jesus did to Peter when, when he denied him by the fire. And his eyes pierced into him. Amen? And so we got to be careful that we don't get used to our lack of fellowship with God and then think somehow by coming to church and sitting there, somehow you're going to be blessed by that. You can't be. The blessing isn't by a geographical location. It's by your heart and what you allow God to do within it. He's looking for access into you. Amen? So we can sit here. I've, I've said this many times. The Bible says, you know, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is. And uh, forsaking means, uh, you know, abandoning. <laughs> abandoning the, the, the assembling, you know. The assembling isn't just a pile of parts piled in the middle of the room. An assembly is where you bought yourself a new barbecue and you put the nut in the right place and you, you put it all together and everybody, one of you, somebody's a nut here and someone's a nut there or a bunch of nuts. But we're all, we all got a part. But abandoning it is, I don't, I don't want to be put on that part. And there's a part of the barbecue that isn't put together because someone doesn't want to fulfill that place. That's forsaking the assembling. Amen? There's a lot to do with the people of God coming together, of course. But I'll tell you this, I've had people come to the church and sit in the pew and still forsake. They've already abandoned their part. In fact, nobody can put the nut on the bolt because you're not letting them. Because you're too proud. And your sin has kept you back and you can feel it and you're not done blaming other people yet. Get over with it. Take personal responsibility for yourself. Uh, the one thing I've understood, there's only one person that keeps you from the will of God. And that's me. There's no person on this planet that's going to stop the will of God for my life. I am the only one that will. And the worst thing is, is when I deceive myself into thinking that somehow I am not where God wants me to be because somebody else did something to me. I'm sorry. Look what happened to Jesus. If anybody could have made that excuse. <laughs> they did a lot to him. Yet he was smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And sometimes the will of God is actually going through the suffering and the different things, handling it in a Christian way. Yeah. 
to be that light that God wants you to be. So even if there is there people around you that are hurting you, <laughs> what is the will of God in that? Just reminded this week again how you know, some people, they, they pretend that they're right, but then why are you so vicious? Why are you so angry and why are you so offended? If you were so right, then you should be the sweetest person in this room. No matter what happened to you. Jesus, no matter what happened to him, he still was the sweetest person in the room. Even though they drove the nails in his hand, he still extended his arms towards every person. If you've got to answer your, your will of God with anger and offense and I hate you and, you know, well, sorry, you are one of these people that say you have fellowship, but you're a liar. You're a liar. And you do not the truth. Do not. You don't do it. You get that. That's powerful truth, man. But that brings it right down to where it ought to be for us. Preacher, this is just too much Christianity for me. <laughs> well, man, this is Christianity. Without what I've told you, you haven't even started yet. Amen. Haven't even started yet. Amen? Wow. God, the Father's desire for fellowship, kept Adam and Eve from complete destruction. We went through this in Romans, how the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know, God looks at us condemning others and looking down on others and so forth. He's saying, you're missing everything here. You think it's just about sin? He says, I'm not intimidated by sin. Sin doesn't scare me. My goal is you. My goal is this person being with me. While we're so wrapped up in the problem, he's saying, you don't even understand what the problem really is. The problem is that lost person over there. I want them to be with me. That's your ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Not the ministry of picking out people's faults. Not the ministry of being an expert on everybody's sin. He's not intimidated by sin. He defeated it 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. It's no longer a problem to him. Now, sure, you have to deal with sin. But let's not miss the goal here. The goal is to bring these people to God. And reconciliation is taking their hand and taking the hand of God and putting them together. That's what we do as a church. Amen? That's what God wants. So here, Adam and Eve brought one of the greatest consequences that you could possibly imagine upon mankind, upon every child, every grandchild, every great-grandchild, and great-great-great-great-great, infinitive great. And yet God says, I'm not going to let you be totally destroyed. Now, how did that happen? In Genesis 3.22, it says this, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, as, he didn't become one of us, but as, whenever you see that there, it's, it's, it's talking about a metaphor, it's talking about something closely, uh, holds some same characteristics, but it doesn't mean that he's changed his, his nature. He's still got the nature of a man, 
He didn't take on the nature of God. But there's something that God had, and God understood that now Adam and Eve understood. And that is good and evil. And that's what he said, to know good and evil. And now, so now he brings it to, what do we do now about this? And now, God says, okay, we're called to action here. There's something we need to do for Adam. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Look, what did he do? Therefore, because of that, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So, (laughs) the tree of life. Something they could easily eat before and experience that life. Now, God says, now, if he puts forth his hand and eats of that tree of life, Adam's going to forever be in this separated state from me. So what does God do? Because he knew what was going on, because he was involved in Adam's existence, he drove him out. Oh, you're so mean, God. Couldn't you just forgive? (laughs) He says, yes, I can forgive, and I'm working on that. There's some situations that I have to put in place. So you know what the Lord did? He allowed Adam to continue in death so that he could bring him life. He allowed Adam to continue in death, and he allowed death to continue. Because he wanted to bring Adam life. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) It means that if he would have taken away death and left Adam in the state that he was in without fellowship with God, there would have been no way that his son could come and die. So what he said is, I'm going to drive him out so that death continues until my son comes and dies. And then death will be destroyed in the death of my son. In his resurrection from the grave. Isn't that amazing? Thousands of years. He allowed man to continue in that unseparated state of death. And he allows death to continue. Death isn't something God initially wants for us for eternity. Death was something that was incidental to sin. (laughs) So death isn't something he wants us to have around us for eternity. He doesn't want us to be separate. He wants us to have very close fellowship all the time. And so he's not interested in a half-hearted relationship with you. He wants a full fellowship with you. And sometimes to get the full fellowship, you have to drive them out. And people will say, well, that's just mean. That's so intolerant. That's just the way it's got to be. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I know this is a, it's a mysterious passage. It really is. But I think he revealed what he was doing here. 
He didn't want them to eat the tree of life. And the reason why he drove them out of that garden was so he wouldn't eat that tree, eat of that tree, the tree itself, not the, the fruit of it. <laughs> Amen. You understand? So, wow, God, you know, this is continued dying just so you can live. Amen? Oh, God, you don't let me continue to suffer just so you can be blessed. God, you're going to continue allowing us to go through troubles, oh, just so I can glorify myself and you can be glorified one day with me. Do you understand that? It changes everything, <laughs> you know, when we get a view of God like that. When it's in his goodness and his love toward us is why he allows these things to take place. So we have a deeper understanding of him and we walk with him and understand his heart, especially for a child of God. You know, one of the major questions we received even last night when we talked to that young man is that he thought he had it all figured out why you go through hard times. And some of the principles were there. He understood some things. And I says, you know, I give you credit. There's some things you've got right. I says, but you're not all the way there. I says, you're missing some things. <laughs> you're missing that there's a God that allows it. And the benefit of these problems and things you go through, it's not just like a positive, oh, you've got to have a positive attitude and you'll have a positive life. <laughs> no. It's a trial of affliction that is far more precious than that of gold. So God is doing something that's going to make you far richer than you would be if he wouldn't have allowed that trial in your life. As a child of God, giving him glory. But that's why many people, they don't thrive in life. Even Christians, they, they can't get past the problems. They can't get past the hardship. Can't get even past your past sins. I mean, what do you expect? You're somehow righteous? <laughs> I mean, my goodness, man. You were born a sinner. You did sinful things, and you messed things up, and, and probably messed things up pretty bad. Well, maybe not so bad. Maybe you just ought to take ownership. And maybe that's your way out. Well, it's like I say, you know, that illustration that I had in the anger messages, you know, we're like a bird that keeps trying to get out by going up in the rafters instead of down through the door. <laughs> you know that's the way it is always running from the real solution and that is simply to become become humble before your God and become real about what you really are have you ever gone to God and said Lord I am just a wicked sinner and you know what I, I don't even understand how you can look at me as more than a waste of breath but to understand that even though I think of myself like that, you look at me, you don't see me like that. And you love this lump of garbage. And it gives value to me. But the value comes from you, it doesn't come from me. And in my humility, the value comes from God. And the grace comes from God. And the ability to be used by God as far as that's beyond our imagination to understand that God can use you in all of your past mistakes and the sins and the things that you've done. Folks, stop pretending that somehow you're better than you are. You're not. It takes away from God. It takes away how great He is. Man, live your life that you've got a great God. 
that has taken you from a miry pit. Amen? Amen. Some people, I, when they talk to me, it's like they say they're saved. This is what you get saved from. You seem pretty good. <laughs> See yourself, man. See yourself, not, not to condemn yourself, not to go, you know, poor old me. That's not what, that's what humility before God is about. That's maybe what humility before man is about. But humility before God is beginning real about what you are. And realizing all the value and grace and ability and everything good has to come from him. And those of us that are running around saying, oh, I've done so bad, I'm just... <laughs> All I'm saying is, man, you're stinking proud. Why would you ever think that you ever had anything that was of any value apart from God? Wow. It's pride. Yeah. Pride, pride, pride. And that's why I say a person that humbles himself before man is a proud person. Trying to make yourself look... Somehow like, oh, you know. No. <laughs> a person that really understands that there's nothing good in them like the Bible says and has humbled themselves before God does not have to prove themselves to any man because they've already become real with their God. And they already understand that my value is not in what you think of me. My value is in everything that God has done for me and what he's given to me. Yeah. Amen. And the sooner we get to that position, <laughs> the sooner you find freedom. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a good concept. <laughs> no more poochie lip about my poor old me, my life. I'm going to tell you this. God didn't have to save us. He could have just said, you know what, Adam? You don't want me? Let me just throw you in the pit today. And guess what? You were in Adam. Your DNA was right there with him. You would have been with him from day one. But nope. He says, uh-uh. That's not how I'm going to handle Adam. My desire is for Adam to be with me. That's why I created him. And you understand the, the, the Ecclesiastes where it says, what God doeth, he doeth it forever. He doesn't do something to fail. In fact, he's never lifted his finger to anything that has ever failed. Sometimes it seems like people are trying to make it seem like God has failed. <laughs> oh, Israel. <pfft. laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if God chose them, it's not up to Israel, it's up to God. And what he has started, what he has set in motion, as, as detrimental as the situation may be to them, God has a way of reviving it out of the ashes because that is who our God is. Amen. And there's a principle. Whatever the Lord puts his hand to will not fail. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And you're one of those way back in Adam. Sure, you've been driven away. Sure, you have to experience the consequence of sin. But that's only because he wants you closer. He wants a fellowship. That tree of life was in the garden because he wanted, with him, he wanted to have Adam with him forever. And I want to experience this with you forever, Adam. I want to just every day come down and talk to you and just experience this forever. 
And you know, at the end of the time, the Bible says the new Jerusalem will come out of when the, he destroys the, the earth. And the Bible says that this earth will be melted with a fervent heat. And new Jerusalem will descend out of heaven. And that will be a part of the new earth. The separation of the universe will be taken away. It's one thing I told the fellow last night. I just said, you can never say there's no God. Because God made it impossible for you to know or to, to make that statement. Even if you didn't want to believe in God. Any atheist cannot say that. That's why it says a fool saith in his heart there is no God. Because you're just being foolish. Because you know that even the strongest telescope can't even reach one, one millionth of whatever into the universe that's out there. And for you to say there's no God is for you to say that you've been further than the telescope. And you've reached the edge of the universe. And you've seen everything there is to see. And you've come to the conclusion you didn't find God. He's not there. <laughs> so in essence, you've made yourself a God to the people around you by saying there's no God. So the fool saith in his heart there's no God. That's why I don't believe there's anybody truly that believes there's no God. <laughs> They just want a God that lets them do what they want to do. That's what it comes down to. But that's because they don't know the God that we know. When I think of everything I want to do, then I look at the God we have and say, man, God, I'm just, I would just rather do what you want me to do because the blessing that comes with you, I can't even come close to that God. Amen? So he says, I want you to be with me. That new Jerusalem comes down, this new, new earth, new heaven. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't understand what this, whether there'll be stars, whether we need stars. I don't know, maybe there will. Maybe, maybe we'll be able to put the stars up. Because, hey, go ahead, boys, paint me a picture. But all I know is that new earth is going to be without sin. And in that city, the Bible says, there's going to be a river flowing. That, that source comes from the very throne of the Lamb itself. That's going to flow through the city and there's going to be a tree that's going to go across the whole river that's going to bear 12 kinds of fruit. Tree of life. Tree of life. Tree of life. That's what God wants. All of this that you're going through is about taking you from there to there. In Adam all have sinned, in Adam all have died. In Christ are all made righteous, in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. Tree of life. <laughs> Folks, that's our Father. That's our Father. Let's bow our heads. I don't know if you're here today and perhaps the Holy Spirit has done a work in your heart and maybe you need to just get real with God. You don't need to pretend to me. I don't need to hear about how spiritual you are or aren't. It's nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with the person beside you. But have you been real with God? 
That's what this is about. You want God's blessing on your life? You want truth in your heart? Humble yourself before him. See yourself for who you are. Not in a condemning way, but in a real, scriptural, truthful way to say, Lord, I understand what your scripture says. I believe what it says. And you're right, God. You're right in everything you've done. You're right in allowing us to continue in this mess for a while. Because you love us. And you're bringing us back to yourself. You're helping us understand you and the hurt that you feel through the pain of disloyalty, through the pain of hatred, the pain of all these things we go through. Folks, Jesus Christ already experienced that. That's what Paul meant by the fellowship of his suffering. Fellowship of his sufferings. That means right now you want to get close to God, that's how you do it. You accept the battles. You accept the pain. You thank him for it. Thank you, Lord. You haven't been treated fairly in your life. Thank him for it. Your parental problem was an issue growing up. Thank him for it. In everything, give thanks. Go to God in humility. Maybe you're here today, you've never truly been born again. You've been a Baptist. Baptist doesn't make you saved. You've never humbled yourself before the Lord. You've never seen yourself for what you are. Always trying to paint a different picture than the real fact of what's going on in your life. You need to be born again. Then deal with it tonight. Start the journey tonight. Because it's a journey back to God. It's a reconciliation. Maybe you've been condemning yourself. You're so bad. Okay. You're just agreeing with what God has already said about you. Just agree with him. And come back to him and say, Lord, now you give me my value because I have none to hold on to anymore. That's a good place to be. You're not going to find it from people around you. That's why you're, you're draining the life out of people. You're trying to find value in people and the way they treat you and the way they, like somehow I need stroking every day. I'm going to tell you something. That is a wrong direction in life. Jesus took a cross. No stroking. Yet his value was beyond 